you would please open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, where we pick back up where we left off last week. We will be capturing all nine of these verses. I'm going to read these nine verses, and it's a light subject today. (laughs) It's just a slightly light subject today. Um, So, I, I, I see some of the younger kids, are, they're not here, so it's probably good that they're probably with the age appropriate, but uh, I don't hold back, so if your kids are in here, you're going to hear the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so uh, uh, for some of you older men and women, it might be a little bit too much, you, you can exit now if you'd like, and, but, but, uh, but I'd rather you stay here and hear what God has for you. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he, is, that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her for the two he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you, ha- whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we take this light subject this morning, and we're going to see uh, what the Lord has for us. But if you remember, in chapter 5, we dealt with the sexual immorality subject And then it went into chapter 6, and we continue to see in here in chapter 6, not only a sexual immorality, but we also saw last week in the very first part of chapter 6 is uh, an ethical uh, immorality. Because there were people suing other people in the body of Christ, and that should not happen over civil things. We're not talking about criminal lawsuits, we're talking about civil lawsuits. They couldn't agree, and they were taken advantage over because of a covetous sin nature of what was happening in that in the, in the body. So they were dealing, so Paul's dealing into a sexual immorality and ethical morality, but he brings these two together here at the end of six with a, these two problems in the Corinthian church, and it's linked around one thing, and that is the body. It's going to link here and see how this body, this wretched body that we live in, can cause a lot of problems. And it can cause problems if it's not under self-control and it's not in line and doing what God has called you to do. There's going to be caused problems not only in your own life, but in the problems within the body of Christ. 
And so Paul is going to address this right here. So in 1 Corinthians, in this first section, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul has brought up the issue of the sexual conduct of Christians. Now he will address some of the questions and problems that the Corinthian Christians had in regards to understanding what God wanted them to do regarding to sex. Because in the city of Corinth, there was a problem with a permissive society. The society had no problem having sex out of wedlock. They had no problems doing all kinds of sexual problems or sexual ways in this city. So it was just natural. And remember, this, this city had a problem with allowing it to come back into the church. See, we're supposed to affect the community, not the community to affect the church. And so what happens is we see this mindset in regards to sex that it was just a normal physical function of the body. And so it's a normal function. Of course, God gave us that function. That's how he created us. So we can just do whatever we want to do that pleases us in regards to that area. But Paul points out that, yes, God created sex, but when he made man, that first man, that first woman, Adam and Eve, it was made perfect in that union and communion between one man and one woman. But the problem is, is that Adam decided to screw the lad up and he turned and went to disobedience and went against God and brought sin into the body. And so because of that, now we're dealing with that issue here today. Remember, the Bible is the owner's manual that we must know and must follow. Now, I know you ladies have a challenge reading directions. Us guys, we read directions all the time, don't we? And we get any time we take a road trip. We're always looking on our maps and finding our specific way to do that. You ladies like to freewheel, I know. But here, when it comes to life, we need to follow the word of God. Because that's our owner man. He is the one that's created the body. He knows how the body works. He knows how our minds work. We must be, stay within the boundaries of how he says we should live our lives. God condemns sexual sins. Paul named some of those, obviously, last week in, in chapter 6, verse 9. He also dealt with it very clearly when we went through the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. He went very much in specific about sexual sins and how that would harm us as, as a man and a woman. But Paul here in, in verse 10 as well, last week, dealt with the church in regards to the, the guilt of the sins of the spirit where they were having that covetous sin in nature that was causing them to want to sue and to try to bring down and tear people down within the body. And that was not to happen. That was no Gouda. Because when those things start going crazy, then what happens, it unravels the, the body of Christ. It comes un, it's not a secure environment for you to be able to come to and to be able to sit and to listen and to be able to have that security to be able to hear from not only from God, but God to work through the body of individuals like you and myself to work through in a, in a good way. And then we could possibly get misled. But the good news is, last week we saw in verse 11 that God can cleanse sexual sins, can cleanse from the sins of the Spirit, can make sinners into new creatures in Christ. Because he said last week, if you remember, we, 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 were, we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified, we were made, made new, we we're new creations. We don't have to live like we used to live in the past. Our past does not have to dictate our future. 
And so many times today, people allow their past to come with them, like baggage. They're holding this constant weight of baggage, bringing all that sin with them and their, their sinful nature into the future. Past mistakes, what people have done to you, what you've done to other people, that you can lay at the feet of Christ and move forward. You, you were washed when you got saved. Past tense. You were sanctified. You were justified, just like as you've never sinned before. So why do you continue to ponder on and think about and, and walk like you're carrying all these past sins? They're just weighing you down, causing you to not be able to fulfill, fully, fully fulfill what God has for you. It's just suppressing you and depressing you, and that is not what God has for you and I. But you've noticed here at the end of verse 11 last week as well that Paul presents the doctrine of Trinity. The doctrine of Trinity is right there. Paul quietly, naturally right there because he knew to be true of God. He lists the three persons of the Godhead right there. The, the, the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the great work of God in the life of the believer. Today, as we get into verse 12 and through, we're going to see that he's going to see the working of that trinity in the lives of you and I. And he breaks it out very specifically, outlines here in the rest of chapter 6 of that relationship we have with the trinity, the Godhead. Because all of that God has done for them, they have, and you and I have this obligation to God to use their bodies, to use our bodies for his service and for his glory. That's the key thing for us to remind us. We don't own ourselves, and we will see this. Paul will be very clear that God has done a work in your life. He has saved you and I. We are now to take these bodies that he's given us and to use it for his service and for his glory. Not for our service, not for our glory, but for his service. And for his glory, what he's called you to do, and he's going to give you the equipping and the strength to do it. And he starts right here, and we're going to see right in the very beginning here in verse 12, that God the Father creates our bodies. He created our body. You didn't create the body. Some muck didn't create somebody. Some amoeba didn't create your body. Over billions of years, somehow you just body came together. God the Father created your body. And, he's, and so Paul starts off here. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but, all, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So this, 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 this kind of this statement where he says, all things are lawful for me, there, this is one of those two arguments that the people would use all the time. Oh, I'm... I'm free in Christ, right? So I'm, all things are lawful for me. I have liberty. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm free. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I get to do however I want to do with my body. Well, Paul is going to make it very clear to them, mm, no, you've got it a little skewed. You've taken, you've taken a truth and you've, you've twisted it just to, make, to fit your desire with what you would like to do with your body. And so he says, he's kind of teaching these Corinthian Christians here about Christian liberty. 
You can imagine that Paul is sitting there as he's teaching them. You could see him, and you know he's probably repeating and and communicating with them what he communicated to Colossians. Uh, When you see back in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, about the fact that here come, it's not about what you eat, it's not about what we drink, it's not about what day we worship the Lord. It is all things are lawful for me. Yes, you have liberty. And I should not let anyone put me under bondage, and especially if the legalists tell you you must all these do's and don'ts. And these legalists in the religious realm try to suppress you. Yes, you have freedom. You don't have to follow the legalism. It's not about the law. It's about grace. And so he's trying to get across to these Corinthians, but you've taken that liberty, you've taken that grace, and you've gone beyond the boundaries. You've started doing it, leaning on your own understanding to fit your way, to fit your lifestyle, because it makes you feel better. That doesn't change what God's word says and must do it according to his way. He has the manual. If you notice in those, verse, those nine verses that we read, that the body is noted eight times out of those nine verses. Because he's going to bring across the fact that we are to glorify God in the body and in spirit. And it must be no other way than that as a Christian. Because our bodies are liberated by the Lord. We see that in the very first part of verse 12. We're freed by the Lord. Many people say, it is my body, I can do whatever I want to. I'm free, that's what the Bible says. Yes, you're free, but you're not free to do whatever what you want to do with your body if it goes against the word of God. But sometimes people have a tendency to only want to read and remember parts of the scripture and not the complete part of the scripture or within context. That's why we do verse-by-verse teaching, because we don't want to take anything out of context. We want you to get the full counsel of God in context, so you're not misled or misunderstood what God has for you and for me for our lives. There's four questions that Paul really brings to light for us. He says that all things are lawful for me, but look at the words there in verse 12. It says, but... That's a key word when you're reading the scriptures. But all things are not helpful. So the first question you need to ask yourself as you're living this Christian life and you want to stay within the context and the boundaries of what God has for you, the first question you and I should ask before we do anything is ask the question, is it helping? Is it helpful? Me as a Christian... Is that going to help me walk with the Lord? That's the first question you should ask yourselves in all things. Is that going to help me, Lord? Is that going to help me? Should I say that? Is that going to help me? Should I go there? Should it help me? The things that I have on my heart and in my mind that I struggle with, are those really helpful, Lord? And if the answer, the Spirit of God says no, then no touchy. Bring that thought under captivity. Don't make that decision. Stay away from it. Stay away from them. Because that person, that thing, that whatever, will come to a point where it will own you or destroy you completely. 
So the very first question that Paul says to them and he's teaching them is says, yes, all things are lawful, okay, but not all things are helpful, people. They're not going to help you. So don't touch it. Then he continues and he says the second part of verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So the second question you should be asking, not only is it, is it helpful, Lord? The second question, is it addicting? Lord, is that addicting? Is that, that thing that I'm looking for and desiring for, or whoever that is or thing it is, will that bring me under bondage? Am I going to be addicted to it? Will, I have, will that have control over me and own me and, and, and just direct like a puppet and start pulling strings on me, Lord? Because if it can put you in a position of being addicted to it, you are not to touch it. Because Paul says you don't want to be brought under any power of anything, of anyone. Why do you think Paul was saying that? Because we will see that they have a problem finding prostitutes when they think they're free to go do that. And the prostitutes are bringing these men under bondage, under control. Go and read Proverbs. I'm happy the men's studies are going to start studying Proverbs because it talks about the immoral woman who brings men under control. That's why he's addressing this here. He says, hey, is it not? if it's not helpful, don't touch it. If it's addicting, don't touch it. It's just going to enslave you. It's going to control you. And as a Christian, you are not to be brought under any control of anything. Oh, but pastor, but what about coffee? Well, you know, if coffees can be addicting, if, it, if you have to have it, you must have it, you can't live without it, then you must cut it off. It's anything. How many people now, oh, it's legal to have marijuana. It's addicting. God says don't touch it. You don't want to be brought under anything. Prescription drugs, and you name it, whatever can be addicting, you must be on guard and you must stay away from it as much as you can possibly be. Now, he also brings to light two more in another verses. If you just look over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, we see the third question that Paul eventually brings to light for us to know. And it says, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. So we see a third thing that you must ask yourself before you do or say. The question is, is it stumbling? What I'm about to do or what I'm about to say, does it affect others in a negative way? You might have liberty to do something. But that doesn't mean that what you're taking liberty to do will cause someone else to stumble. And if you really love God, and if you really love others, as the two great commandments God's called us to do, you will have self-control and say, I will not do because that would stumble a brother or sister. 
and you make the choice for the sake of others centered not to do it. You won't do it because you love them more than what you want to partake in, even though you have the liberty to do it. Now, I hear it. Well, that's the brother's problem. If he was just stronger, and he'd come to church more and, and goes off and on. Well, then give him more time. Just restrict yourself from it. Hold yourself back for the sake of him and let him get grow. Why don't you invest and disciple into that man and help him grow in the word of God and get, encourage him to come to, the, to, to, the, to, to church so that he will grow and he won't stumble the man. Or is it just the fact that you want what you want and you just really don't care about that man? The fourth question you should ask and I should ask myself, and we find it in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 31, flip over another page. And he says there, Paul says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Whatever you choose to do or say or go, do it to glorify God. You don't, if it doesn't glorify God, the question is, who are you glorifying? Are you doing it to bring attention to yourself, to lift yourself up, to make you look better and more mightier and, and something better than someone else? Or maybe you're hooked to some, some god or goddess that's pulling your strings that's causing you to glorify them. And they are getting you to do something that you should know you shouldn't be doing because it takes away the glory of God. That's why when we're in ministry and we do anything with ministry, we make sure we do not make sure that very clearly we do not do certain things like eat certain things or drink certain things or do anything that is going to take away the glory of God. Because when we start messing around and take glory away from God and what he has done and is doing, it's only, we're going to fail. God always wins. <laughs> we do not. And so we don't mess with taking the glory away from God. We want to make sure he is, he is lifted up high in our, in our lives. And what we do and say and go and, do, and what he's doing through our lives. We give him all the glory. We take none of it. And no recognition of it. We, we just praise him for what he graciously and lovingly is doing in and through our lives. Remember, we have the liberty from sin. Let me repeat that. We have liberty from sin. We don't have to sin. Oh, you don't understand. No, no, no. If you're saved, if you're born again, you have liberty to not sin. You have the power within you, as we will see in the scriptures, to choose not to sin. That's if you choose. And Paul's going to remind them very clearly here. We continue here in verse 13 and 14. He says, Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So the first um, key in instruction was that what God the Father created our bodies. 
Here we're going to see that our bodies are for the Lord. That's the second key principle here that Paul brings out to light here. Our bodies are for the Lord. We see that the Corinthians' second argument is that they treated sex like it was food. I'm hungry. My stomach's hungry. It's growling. I need to fill that desire. I go get food. I can eat as much as I want, when I want it, wherever I want it. And the problem in, in this society, in this church, they took that and said, it's just like a natural thing God created. The stomach gets hungry. It's a hunger, hunger issue, hunger desire. I just feel the hunger. Well, they took that and they twisted it and they said, well, then sex is the same thing. My body desires sex. I'm just going to get it whenever, wherever, how much, whenever I want to. Like, it's just like, it's some way, it's equated of of our same value or the same purpose. And Paul here says, no, 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 you don't understand that this is not how it works. Even in Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yes, God created your body. Yes, God created a stomach to have hunger pains to know when you need food. Yes, you will have those desires, those natural desires, those sexual desires, but they are to be done exactly how God said to do it. Because you can even eat and, and sin because you can become a glutton. You could eat more than what you're having. Beyond what you call glutton, you just can't stop. And when you do it out of natural, that it can cause sin within your life. And you must have that food issue under control. And he'll give you that control. Just same with your sexual desires. You're going to have those desires. Those are natural. But you must keep them within the confines of how God designed them so they're good and right. Not perverted and, un- and, and, and sinful. But see, the people wanted to do, and they think they could equate the stomach in foods and with sex in this. But he made it very clear here. The body is not for sexual immorality. The body is for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. See, Paul is not going to let them take this leaning on their own understanding and rationalizing their behavior, sinful behavior, somehow this mindset that this food issue or restrictions are somehow equated to sexual immorality. But because of our lustful sexual appetites that they had, it may seem that God well, we have these appetites, sexual appetites, but it's God-given. We just have to fulfill it. You know, it's just, that's just natural. It's just make it happen kind of a deal. Yes, God made our bodies. Yes, God made our bodies for that purpose. But God did not make our bodies that way in the beginning. It was Adam who messed that all up and caused it to go out astray. And we see the wisdom of God's design for the body. But he designed it for sexual purity. And when you go outside of sexual purity, you go outside of how God designed it for one with one woman, with one man together, that's it. Then you see the consequences within the society, within the church. You can see the consequences. Unplanned, unwarranted, un pregnancies that should not have happened. 
You see sexual transmitted diseases happening. That should not happen. And these are the price one pays in the body for using the body in a way that God and the Lord never intended. People always say, oh, why are these things happening in the world? Why is there problems with the pregnancy issues? Why is there sexual transmission issues? Why? Because you're outside of God's will. You're outside of God's design. It's very simple. It's not complex, people. And so I go crazy when I hear the psychobabble going on. When I hear the government trying to rationalize and think they're going to solve this problem. It drives me crazy. Because God has it right in his owner's manual exactly how to solve the problem. It's just people don't want to follow God's plan. They want to follow their own flesh. But he says here, one day God will destroy our stomachs in a sense of being dependent on food and, 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 and being controlled by hunger. You ever met anyone who has hangry problems? You know, they get angry when they're hungry. Oh, man, I've seen it. Some young men can get really t- little, little edgy when they're hungry. But God says, I'm going to destroy that. When, we, when I take you into heaven, when I bring you into this new body, oh, yes, we, you'll eat in heaven. Oh, yes, in the new world, you will be eating. And I, Because I know it. Because God's promised me a good, nice big brownie. Not, not too fudgy, not too cake-like. I'm sure I'm going to have a great brownie. So there's no doubt myself. No doubt. But they will not control us. That hunger will not control us in a way that it does many people today. And just like sex will not control us, that sexual conduct will not be what controls our bodies and, our, and consume our minds day in and day out when it's out of control. Because our relationship, as we see in the scripture, is between our bodies and Christ. Our body is for Christ. We are to serve him with our bodies, Romans 12.1. Christ redeemed our bodies. He owns us. He knows and controls and tells us what we should or should not do with our bodies. And the body is not just for physical use. It is also, we see, a spiritual as well. We're to serving and living for the Lord. It's not about the do's and don'ts, people. It's not about you in this religious system trying to do, keep in the do's and don'ts and regulations and make somehow you're pleasing man and pleasing God by do's and don'ts. That's called religion. That's you trying to reach up and touch God. It's not that way. If you understand the scriptures, it's God reaching down and touching you. He reaches down and touches you and wants that relationship with you. Because he knew that you and I cannot reach. You can't keep from the do's and don'ts. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Because our bodies are for him, the scripture says here. Our soul, our spirit will go into heaven, we see in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 5a says, We are confident, yes, well, pleased, rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. We know when we leave this this body, we're going to be in his presence. 
1 Thessalonians even highlights that for us in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get out of this wretched body and be in the presence of the Lord. I'm ready as soon as he is part of his will is when he's going to come back for us and rapture us out of here. In verse 15 through 17, we see the third principle. We saw the God the Father who created our bodies, but we also see here that God the Son redeemed them and made them part of his body here. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Are you crazy? That is my ad lib, sorry. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? And then he quotes from the scripture from the Old Testament here. He says, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Genesis 6, 24. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So now we see the third principle about our bodies. Our bodies are members of the Lord. Do you know that? Did you realize that? When we are saved, we become a member of the Lord. Do you not? He says, right, do you not know? Apparently the Christians here in Corinth, in Corinth did not know that. Because their sexual conduct reveals in their behavior and their attitudes and their mindset tells Paul that you don't get it. You're a Christian, you're coming to church and you do these things, but you're still living like your bodies are not of the Lord. That you have complete control and say over what you want to do with your body. That it is okay for you to go out there and find a prostitute, a harlot, and sit in there and sleep around with her because this religious entity over here had a, a temple of uh, Aphrodite, had a thousand prostitutes, and it was part of their religious ceremony. And so they see it in the culture, they see it even in a, religion, a religious kind of center, and so what do they do? They think it's okay that they can just sleep around with a harlot. And if you think that's any different today, you're crazy because you see it today in society, people just sleeping around with anyone who wants to. But you also see religious entities out there that says it's okay to have all kinds of uh, sexual sin going on and allowed within the church. So it's nothing new under the sun here, people. So what Paul was preaching back then is God is preaching to you today. That is not to happen. Our bodies are members of Christ. Why would God want you to be joined up with a harlot? He wouldn't. And you can't rationalize it. If you do and you are okay with it and your conscience can deal with it and you think it's okay to go sleeping around, check your salvation. Because if you're not convicted by sleeping around out of marriage, you should be convicted. Because you're destroying yourself. 
and it will affect the body. Because he says, he, 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 Paul makes it very clear, the sexual relationship is between a husband and wife, and we're going to be dealing with that in chapter 7 next week, Lord willing, or here next week. But chapter 7, we get in for a whole series. You want a series on marriage? Chapter 7 is what it's all about. So we'll have a series of teachings on marriage and the appropriateness of marriage and how that all to, is to work. But he says that it's like a husband and wife becoming one flesh. It's under God's blessing. But sex outside of marriage... Having a partner outside of marriage, you still become one flesh in some way, but don't expect God's blessing on it. You are expecting God's curse on that. That's what the scriptures say. You do it God's way, there's blessing. You don't do it God's way, there's curse. And you wonder why your life is in shambles. That's what Paul's saying to him. Well, you wonder why your life's in shambles and things are causing problems within the body. Because a person who sits there and says and desires this casual sexual encounter may not in their mind say, I don't want to become one with them. I'm just using them for the night, I'm using them for a period of time. I, I don't want oneness with them. That's not the person I'm going to marry. Like, it's okay. But if you know the scriptures, there's no such thing as casual sex. There's no such thing as that because God says when you sleep with another, you become one. They take part of you. It affects your soul. It affects your spirit. And it affects your body. Many sins can affect just your body. Many sins can affect just your spirit. But sexual um, immorality affects both your mind, your soul, and your spirit. All aspects of yourself. That's why he says you're no touchy. You should not do that because it's going to harm you. Warren Worsby says, sex out of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it is not his. And he will one day pay for it. Sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into a bank because there is safety, security, and he will collect dividends. Jesus says, your body, your soul, and your spirit will be affected. He owns it. And so we have no right to give any part of ourselves away to an unauthorized person. If God didn't bring you that marriage, and you become one with another, with another person, you have allowed an unauthorized person into your space. They should not be in your purple space. <laughs> keep, them about, keep them outside of that purple space if they're not married. In the heat of lustful passion, spiritual things may seem so far away from someone. That lust will just blind you and cause you not to understand and hear God speak to your heart about things to stay away. Because the root of most lustful passion is the desire for love, 
acceptance and adventure. That's what that kind of, I need adventure. I need love. I need acceptance. I just, I just don't feel complete. But you're not going to find that through sexual immorality. You will only find that through marriage. Doing it God's way. Because remember, we see it right here in the scripture, in verse 17. When we enter into sin, we drag Jesus into it with us. Keep that in mind. You're dragging him through it with you. So what do we do? Verse 18, Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And that word flee there is a present perative. That means a continual motion. Paul doesn't tell us to be brave and resist the lustful passion of your sexual immorality, but to flee from its very presence. Oh, how many times I hear men say, oh, I'm going to stay pure, Pastor. I'm not going to go back there. And I'll find out that same night they're over there hanging out with those people and going back into the same neighborhoods they were used to be, right where they were falling into sexual immorality before. They're hanging out at the bars. They're drinking alcohol beyond sex and putting their senses down and, and allowing them to be so manipulated by people. And they wonder why they keep falling back into sexual immorality. Paul says you must flee from it. Continue to flee. Be like Joseph as an example as we see in Genesis chapter 39 verses 7 through 21. He's sitting there doing what God's called him to do. He's in the house there, Potiphar's wife's house. He's taking care and responsibilities. And that woman had lust for that man. And so what did she do? She was going to force that man to sleep with her. And what did he do? That godly man did the only thing of what he's supposed to do. He fled from that woman. Even though there's consequences and he was thrown in jail, it was still the right thing to do. Paul continues even that same theme over to Timothy, his young predecessor, Pastor Timothy, in a similar way back in 2 Timothy 2.22. You must flee, Timothy. Don't sit there and say, I'm strong, I'm, I'm really strong this time. I've been prayed up, I've been, I'm going to stay strong. Dude, why would you even, even come close to the edge? If you're coming to the edge, there's something wrong. Stay away from the edge. You could accidentally fall. And you'll get hurt. Hurt bad. Paul is not saying to the Christians should flee sex. He's only saying to, to flee sexual immorality. God gave sex as a precious gift to mankind. It used it powerfully to bond a husband and wife together to a true one flesh relationship. Hebrews 13.4 says the marriage bed is undefiled. The sexual relationship between a husband and a wife is pure and holy and good before God. It's a good thing. But sexual immorality works against God's good purpose for sex, working against truth, working against what God has, has, has designed for you. It's just temporary 
excitement, but it will never enrich your life like a marriage. Healthy sexual relationship with a husband and wife is enriching to that couple, to each other. It strengthens them. But Paul says, it will not if you don't do it God's way. The sexual immorality will do, do actually crush you. And in, in, in the original language here, sexual immorality, Paul's using a Greek word called pornonia, which means not just having a intercourse with a woman, but any sinful uh, act outside of marriage. A broad range of sexual sin can be a, a problem. So this, this short gratification or apart from and, and trying to justify, well, I didn't sleep with a woman. I didn't sleep with a man. I, I, that must not be a... No, it is. His, his definition here, his word of pornonia, still refers to pornographic videos and movies and magazines and books and internet material. You are not to touch it. That is sexual immorality and it would destroy your soul, your spirit, and eventually your body. So Paul is very clear to them in the Corinthians, do not touch, stay away, because that is destroying you. There's no gray area here, people. It's very clear. Because sin is against your own body. It's like a cancer that will just eat away at you internally. It will just ravage your mind. And I have met many of men who've been ravaged by sexual immorality their lives starting young and their minds don't work right. Things are very skewed. And now when they're at an age where they want to get married, it's very difficult for them to have a healthy relationship with a woman because their mind has been skewed. And it's only good by the grace of God and him renewing their minds by the reading of the word of God that will restore their minds to be able to have a healthy relationship with a woman. That's why I say to young men and to you young women, stay away from sexual immorality because it will affect you. Proverbs 6.32, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. There's a guy, Augustine, was a Christian who had a lot of trouble with keeping sexually pure. Oh, he wanted to, but he had difficulty. For a long time, he kept from really following the Lord. He used to pray, God, make me pure, but just not yet. Oh, I want it, but not yet. Get me through this next weekend because I got a plan. And sure enough, that plan came to fruition and he fell to sexual immorality again. But over time, he stopped hanging around with his companions that were kind of part of that same scene, that sexual immorality. He stopped going to the neighborhoods and going to the parties and going to different places that it seems so, so wide and so open, so easy for Augustine to get a hold of it. But then he had this business meeting. He had this, this place where this job told me he had to go. And he, he says, oh, he's taking him back to the old place, to the street where he used to be, where the old flames still are. Oh, and oh, how easy it is when you come back to the old place where you used to be, how quickly your old friends pop right back up to you. 
Oh, and there she is. Oh, Augustine, it is so good to see you. Where have you been? We wanted to see you. Why don't you come hang with us in that party? We're having a party this weekend. Why? Oh, we've missed you, Augustine. It's been so long, Augustine. We've missed you. But Augustine chose to flee at that moment. And he starts running as fast as he can. And this woman yells out, Augustine, where are you going? Why are you running the other way? Why are you doing that? And so she called out, Augustine, why are you running? It's only me. Come back. But Augustine looked back while still running away and says, I'm running because I am not me. You might remember me back then, but that is not who I am any longer. That's not me. I may look like me, but inside, it's not me. And I'm not staying. I'm running. May we be Augustines, where we will choose to flee, as Paul is saying to the Corinthian Christians today. You must flee. You don't... You don't have to justify, rationalize, and tell anyone what. Maybe add, Augustine says, I love Jesus, it's not me. Just yell Jesus, I'm sure she'll flee. All you have to do is name Jesus. Anyway, trust me, guys. Some woman comes to you and says, oh, I remember you. You say, let me tell you about Jesus. Watch how quickly they'll flee. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, 22 says, flee your youthful lusts. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. See, the Holy Spirit will empower you and I to implement the choice that God wants us to implement. And that is according to the way he wants it. In Zechariah 4, 6, he says, Lord says to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, not by power, not by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not going to be able because your flesh is too strong. You must trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to flee from the situation. Because your weak flesh will buckle and it will fall if you do not flee. Then he finishes up here in verses 19 and 20. And Paul says and brings out to light here the God of the Holy Spirit and dwells our body and makes them the very temple of God. And we're going to see the fourth thing about our bodies, that our bodies are the temple of the Lord. He says, oh, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body is where the Spirit of God dwells within. Our bodies are the temple of the Lord. Yes, lives within you. You're never alone. He hears all things, sees all things, he's everywhere. If you would grasp that and hold on to that truth, that will keep you from many falls. The temple is a place of sacred to God, pure. 
from immorality. He doesn't have immorality. And so his place is a sacred, the temple is a sacred place. It is a true, we are filled with this, this Holy Spirit, and it must influence our sexual behavior when we know that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we do fall to sexual immorality, what that does is it pollutes, it defiles the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple of our bodies will be defiled. And because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, our bodies belong to God and not ourselves because you are not your own, the scripture says right here, because he bought you at a price. He bought you with his own life. Our bodies belong to God. He purchased he possessed it. He has all the rights to do whatever he wants to do in and with your bodies. We do not have that right to pollute our bodies. We do not have the right to cause defilement within these bodies. If you're a believer, you must ask whatever you're doing, is it helpful if no, stop it. If it's addicting, stop it. If it's harming others, stop it. If it's not glorifying your God, your Savior, you must stop it. You must fight. The spiritual battle is real. But God gives you the power. He lives within you to fight and to be victorious because he's given you victory over death, my friends. 1 Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed, purchased, with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers. It is not about what this world has to offer. To he purchased you with his own life. He purchased us, he gave us a life for ours, and to freed us from the bondage of sin. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Live like you truly are a believer. Live by trusting every morning, waking up and saying, Holy Spirit, fill me with your power to be able to live in this body that you've given me. And Paul makes it clear that our bodies belong to Jesus. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must remember that the grace of God can change the sinner's life. It is wonderful how faithful in Christ makes a sinner into a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21. And because he's created a new creation, he's created you new, it is important that we live like those who are a part of God's new creation because we are not our own. We belong to the Father who made us, to the Son who redeemed us, and to the Spirit who dwells within us. And so we must remember, my brothers and sisters, 
Because God, Paul made it very clear to them here, these Corinthian Christians, what God has done for them, what he's done for us. And because of that, what their obligation is to use their bodies for God's service and for his glory. And that's why he says very clearly to these Corinthians and to us, stop the lawsuits and the loose living and glorify God in body and spirit. 